similarities and some uh, some typologies and was it was it a good exercise? Mm-hmm. They all like. <laughs> yep. Well, God is gracious. So am I. No. So um. <laughs> no. But um. Okay. So guys, what we want to do is we we um. <laughs> we we want to be like doing the homework and stuff so that we can grow in the Lord. But I, I get it. So here's what I'm gonna do is we're gonna actually go through chapter eight uh, a little bit. Uh, I had I had some uh, some dear friends of ours that say, hey, no, don't totally skip over chapter eight, even though you got us going back to it. Let's make sure we get some of the fundamental truths of chapter eight and announce them up front. So I praise God for for dear friends to speak into my life like that. So we're not doing ten and and uh, poor. Poor Colleen. She was like, I love chapter 10. I was like, oh, for real? We're not doing chapter 10. What is she? So we're doing... I don't know. I'm, I'm out of here. She's walking. She's driving. No, she's right there, y'all. But um, so we're going to do chapter uh, 8 today. Uh, we're going to jump and, and bounce, look at some key themes. Uh, again, if you're new, we ask questions. Uh, the goal here is for us to understand what the, what the truth of God is saying and to apply it to our lives. And so please feel free um, to be in dialogue. If you need Bibles there in the back, if you raise your hand, someone will come down and bring you a Bible. Uh, so please feel free to do that as well. And without further ado, let me, let me just pray and then we'll get right, jump right into uh, the truth of God's word, okay? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to be with uh, the, your people and to be one of your people, Lord. Lord, we bless you for that. We don't take that lightly. And Lord, we adore you. And we just pray that you would be the object of our affection right now, um, that we would just enjoy um, learning about you and understanding who you are and your character and understanding how to respond to revelation that you give us by the grace of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray for that right now. We pray that our hearts would be humble and you would give us great stamina uh, to, to resist the lies of the enemy, to, to think about all this other stuff, to be tired. Well, we pray that we could just um, be fervent and, and passionate and hungry uh, for for uh, God-centered expression and understanding who you are and who we are in light of you. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Um, before, uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to have um, my man read a little bit, and then I'm, we're going to pause, we're going to break, we're going to talk about some things, and we're going to read a little more and talk about some things, okay? So that's how we're going to roll. Uh, can you begin? We're in chapter 8 again, going through the book of John. Uh, we did chapter 9 last week, so we're bouncing back a little bit. And uh, here we are. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in an act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write uh, on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older one first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Have no one, uh, has no one condemned you? No, sir. No one, sir. 
She said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Okay, so just real quick, have you guys noticed in your Bibles, I just want to give you clarity of what's going on there. Uh, Right before chapter 8, it says some things about the earliest manuscripts don't have this kind of deal. Have you guys seen that before in your Bibles? It'll have something usually discussing that different pat that specific passage. Um, let me just let me just share what that is. Is um, okay. So manuscripts are how we get um, ancient ancient writings. Okay. And so basically, the way we know that that manuscripts are, or the way they come up with a canon, or the way the Bible has come up with, or or books like uh, the Iliad, or just great works of antiquity, is that these people way back in the day. They gathered all these different manuscripts because it was copied over and over again, and they gathered them all up, and then they sort of said, okay, this looks like this is what he meant here, and they have, and they have like a hundred of them, and so they'll say, okay, I'm pretty confident this is what they were saying when they copied it because it's all adding up. And then they'll have some text that will have, you know, it will say, you know, this sentence, but then it will say a different sentence here, and they would say maybe because during that time uh, they had many different false prophets who were writing and trying to act like the author's of, of antiquity, okay, and so in order to find them out, they would make sure that the information they were writing um, coincided or was uh, right theology that it, that it made sense through the rest of the scriptures. That makes the rest of the Old Testament, okay. So they call that manuscripts. It's when you get all these different ancient writings and you put them together, and that's how that's how we come. That's how we get the canon, the Bible, okay. Now, a lot of times, what happens is the earlier the manuscript, the closer to the date of the historical event the more authentic that it seems to be. Does that make sense? Okay, like if I write something about what happened today, tomorrow, I might be more, a little more accurate than next year. Okay? And so what they would do is they would do, so when they found the earliest manuscripts, uh, that would just confirm that maybe this was true because there's many of them and they're really early. Those are some of the specific uh, ways that people come up with books of antiquity. Not just the Bible, but books of antiquity. Y'all following me so far? Okay, what's the point here? Just trying to help you out with, the, with what's going on there. So, so okay. So this that particular passage in the Bible has a, don't have many early dates. They don't have many early manuscripts. They have many late manuscripts. So it's pretty unanimous, unanimous with scholarship that this different passage here um, probably wasn't part of John originally. Okay. Now don't go not, stop being Christians and stuff. The Bible's still true. And, and inspired by Jesus, right? But, but that particular text, um, they're saying that it's probably, it's probably authentic um, in the sense of the doctrine, um, but they don't think it was part of the first writings of John. Does that make sense? It wasn't, John, it wasn't part of the Gospel of John in its original form. But the truth of it, or the theme of it, um, we can still take because we have the rest of the Bible. And we can, but... And so, so I'm just, I don't want to make it sound like it's not, it's not scripture. Um, I'm just saying it wasn't part of John originally. Does that make sense? Okay, I messed you all up now. Everybody all nervous now. The next time, I'm never doing that again. Lord. I'm sorry, sis. Why is it still in here or? Well, that's the thing is that, is that when you, they, you find different manuscripts. So maybe when you had like the, all the manuscripts of John, there was probably one group of manuscripts that had, you know, uh, five chapters here and seven chapters here. And so, you, every, so then you put them all together. So this probably wasn't part of that huge compilement when they, were, when, they, when they compiled John's gospel. 
and then and then way down the road, uh, they they it was added somehow. But people looked and said, no, these are super late dates here. You follow me? So um, I mean, I don't now a book. If you know, don't take my word for it. A, a cool book on understand how the Bible or books in antiquity are written. It's called the Book of the Parchments. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Um, and it's I mean, it's a powerful book, but it's probably the most um, dense book I've ever read in my life. Um, so so have at it. But um, have a good time, but uh, it's pretty intense. So it's a great book, and I, I know I just I know that's a tip of the iceberg. But my point is that's why that's in there. Um, it's to say that uh, these writings weren't part of the original text. Um, because of, I think the reason why they put it in the canon, like as like you know, when we begin to have a printing press and things of that sort, is because of the theological themes still still fit and so we can't say again our faith is is we we believe and we are really really sure but there is a probability that jesus christ did not die on the cross and rose from the dead well we know historically some guy named jesus died on the cross but we believe by faith he rose from the dead and then and i'm i'm totally convinced of it because of what he's done in my life and blah, 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 um because i think the sermon is based on us being dedicated to jesus i'm convinced of that um but my point is and even in the scriptures when they when they gather when they gather these these scripture texts, uh, they are they're gathering them with all the information they have. So so they're saying we don't know for sure that it's not scripture. So but the themes and the theology fits right in line with scripture. So um, the assumption is they put it in. And even if you look at this, um, they put this little text in. And I think there's one more in the Bible. So just to, just to confirm you that all the scriptures are are super reliable. There's two, there's two pericopes in all the 66 books of the Bible where they're going, we don't know. And they could have lied. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they didn't. They're like, you know, we're, we're comfortable with our faith. We're going to keep it real. These two different passages we don't think were of antiquity, but the themes still are the same. I don't want to go down this rabbit trail because we need to learn some Bible. And y'all are like, well, you started it. I know. I'm sorry. I thought I was trying to help. You know what I'm saying? And please forgive me. And Lord, you know what I'm trying to do. So, um, yeah, where am I going? Okay, so, so the the point is the theme of the passage. I I, I bring it up because I think it's ironic. This this passage is taught a lot, and um, just so we ain't, I'm not up here all day. Can I get uh, a phone or uh, a watch or something? Because I don't have my watch. Because we y'all be here to two o'clock. Um, <laughs> so I uh, nice. So um, thanks, Scotty. Uh, so this passage is usually taught on, you know how it's taught? It's taught not to judge. And uh, I think that's extremely unbiblical. And so I want to make sure that, um, that, um, that and I'm going to prove that in a moment, um, that, that this, this, this passage is, I'm going to look at a few things. This passage isn't talking about not to judge um, because, he, because Jesus does, and I'm just, I'm just skating over this real quick, and I know you all going to beat me up afterwards, but that's okay. Um, the, the, if you look at the end of the passage, he judges her. And he does it by telling her not to sin anymore. Okay, he tells her to leave your life of sin. And so his point isn't not judge, but have right judgment. His point is that don't pass, that basically his issue with the Pharisees, if you look at the passage, and I'm just giving you sort of some cliff notes, and you can ask some questions, is the reason why I, I say that is because he realized that the Pharisees' point wasn't holiness. Their point was to catch Jesus. Big difference. Big difference. You're not, you're not serious about holiness. You're not serious about 
this woman being a righteous woman and loving her man, you're trying to catch Jesus. So Jesus put everybody on blast. And he's like, okay, so how can I do this? How can I kill all these birds with one stone? How can I expose you for your heart? How can I make sure that you understand, don't listen to this stuff? And then how can I also make sure that you pursue holiness and realize I'm the king? He's trying to do that in a brief second, right? And so, and we, and we see this from the text where he started, I think it even started like they tried to trap Jesus, right? In verse 6, so I didn't make that up. They're trying to trap Jesus. Um, and Jesus exposed him for that. And what he does, his focus in this particular pericope, and we're going to see two others later, he, he allows, he, he mixes compassion and justice. Um, and then he exposes the purity of their hearts. And then finally he tells them, I don't condemn you, but I want you to go and leave your life of sin, which is clearly a demonstration of God saying, I'm not going to let you be in this stuff long. I want you to understand this is not what you're called to be about. That's judgment. All right? Okay, so, so when you ever hear people just leave this passage talking about we're not called to judge and what's your business and all that, I'm going to just tell you, in love, I, don't, I definitely would say that Jesus would disagree, that he would say they have, they have handled this, this passage irresponsibly because God is wanting us to see that motivated, motivated with the right motivations, love and a passion for God, we are called to judge. And when you usually have those, those key indicators, usually judgment looks a little different than the Pharisees. You see that? Okay, so just, yeah. Okay. Um, I know I skated over that. We're going to keep rolling, y'all. But you, as long as you got the gist of the passage, so I hope, I hope what we learn at MacAv, especially in our community, because guys, by the way, here at MacAv, you're all, we're, the Bible says in Revelation that his people, he gives us, um, how do I say this? Some people have the gift of prophecy, but we're all prophets. What I mean by that, in, in Revelation, um, he gives us the description of the two prophets in Revelation. And what is, what is he saying is that the people of God, <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this, the people of God, you come to Christ, and then what God says is that you believe the gospel, and then now your posture is to go out in the world, and as you live a life of godliness, and as you proclaim God, you're heaping judgment, you're reminding the world that he exists, and that he's the king, and that you've got to do something with that. That's called prophecy. When you're a truth teller, we're all called to be truth tellers for God's glory. Okay? Now, I say that because we're all called to be truth tellers in love with the right judgment that we see demonstrated by our King Jesus. Then he's saying that we need to, we need to know that in this community specifically because you're going to be telling people a lot of hard truth that they don't want to hear. And so if you believe, in, so I'm convinced that the, the enemy wants to lie and say, don't judge. Don't say that. You'll be judging. Because he doesn't want people to be released from the stronghold of lies and by them hearing truth from you in love. You hear me, family? So that's why I think the Lord wants us to, re- he wants to reveal that and to, and, and to rebuke it. I want to rebuke it. You're called to judge, but to judge sin. You're not called to judge preferences. But when people are not being who they're called to be in Christ and they're in sin, we're called in love to say, bro, I just want to let you know, here's what God says. Right now, not ugly a nose in the air and all this stuff, but to be really clear, here's what God here's what God is saying, and now we have to do something with it. Okay, fam, Nate Doggy. Oh, um, I would say the Christian, definitely the Christian, we judge sin. Okay, not preferences. The unbeliever, it seems the Bible is saying. Well, this is what the Bible says. Like, unbelievers, they, they, that's what they do. They're W-2. What do you do? I sin. 
So, so unbelievers, their job is to sit, right? We all was there, right? If you, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm a good sinner even now. Praise the Lord for Jesus. But before Jesus, I was a really good sinner. Okay? And so, and so, we're supposed to have compassion, like, over the unbeliever and go, like, you, like, without, without God, see, the, the, the thing about spiritual death is you're dead. And you can't, like, stop being dead. God has to make you alive. So if he doesn't make you alive, why am I going to expect a sinner to be holy? You follow me? So he's not expecting that. So compassion, but actually for people to see right judgment in Christ is what he's calling us as a, a believer to an unbeliever. So it, the judgment doesn't stop. It's just that we are representing Jesus, and then people have to, like, do the math, kind of. Does that make sense? I'm not asking an unbeliever to stop sleeping with his girlfriend when he doesn't love Jesus. What's the motivation? But I, I do want to point them to the cross and show them that's a fake life you're living. Look at true life, right? Um, can we continue? Let's read uh, 12 through uh, 13, please. Check, check. Yeah, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. <laughs> so, so, you have a, so, so now, now if you notice, um, you, you go to chapter 7, and then you bounce to chapter 8, you'll actually see what I'm saying about that pericope. You'll see it doesn't really fit. Um, and actually a lot of, lot of scholars will put uh, that passage at the end of, uh, chapter, of chapter 8 because... They're, in the, uh, they're doing the whole feast, the festival thing in chapter 7, and then almost he's still there doing the joint uh, in chapter 8 uh, while he's speaking to the people and stuff. That's just a sidebar. Jay? Oh, a little small part. It's a little small passage. I'm sorry. Yeah, I try to sound all smart sometimes. It's all, you know, seminary. I paid that money, man. I thought I should use something. So, um, calling me out. Why are you using that word? So, Jay Dog. Okay, so, so we have... Um, okay, so we have a couple things here that I want to just uh, make, make clear. Um, the whole light piece. Now, remember, all throughout Scripture, guys, and, and what happens, here's, here's the danger of us studying a book of the Bible, and we're going to keep doing this until, right, until Jesus comes back, is, is we, I feel like we get in and we're, we're, we're learning, but after a while, it all starts to jumble together, right? And you're like, well, what happened in chapter 1? And, right? And so let's, let's just try to fight. Let's just fight for understanding in Christ. And, and I just wanted to remember things like, for example, light imagery and water imagery that we talked about weeks in and weeks out. Um, so when you see light now, I, my, my prayer is that you're going, boop, oh, light, light imagery. What is that meaning? And you're thinking about some of the things that we've already talked about. Um, and so here is just real simple, light implications. Uh, there's two main points, right, in these, in these couple passages. These guys start to argue again, and Jesus, you know, he, he stars it. He's come out, I'm the light of the world, you know, starring stuff. And... Um, and then, you know, we are like, why are you messing with Jesus? Well, I mean, he making some serious claims. Um, so he makes these two big claims, and it seems like the focus is the light and this issue of invalid witness, okay? Right? Now, this is not brain surgery at all. So light implications is to, but I want, to, I want us to understand this, to have light, okay? Now, this, is, this is good for us, because I, I think one of the biggest things of the Bible, and we'll see this, especially in John, is, is Jesus, he, just won't, he won't let us just sit into, in the middle ground. He keeps building these big barriers. So you have to like be like all Jesus or not. 
and there's not a lot of, a lot of wiggle room. And he used words like light, right? Because he's saying to, so to have light is to have Jesus. So what's the implication there? That person, that basically, that if you don't have Jesus, you are totally in darkness. There's no, like, middle ground. <laughs> oh, you know, well, I'm doing all right. No, this is to, to even to experience light is to be in Christ. And anything else is, is total darkness. And that, oh, by the way, so if he says that, I mean, look at the conclusion that Jesus does to us. So if we're saying that, so then he's saying that the whole world is in darkness. So, so, that, so the whole world stars itself out in darkness. And so now it's only those who respond to Jesus who actually experience light. And for me, I mean, you, I mean, what's the necessary implication there? I mean, do you just think about that? Do you think about what that means when you walk around and we kick it? I, sometimes in my mind I can forget that the whole world is dark. That the whole world is in darkness. And that Jesus is the light of the world. And that the gospel is expanding and light is expanding only where Christ is expanding. And that's hard to deal with. Because we've got a lot of friends and family and people we deeply love. And they're in total darkness. And we have to be honest, family, because if we're not, then we won't have, we'll have weak prayer lives and we won't pray for them. And they'll experience darkness forever. Interesting implications he provides. Continues with, he says the testimony piece. Um, can you read 14 to 18, please? Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. I'm sorry, 18.2. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid, for I am one who testifies for myself. My uh, other witness is the Father who sent me. Okay, so, so some of you guys are going, oh, no, hold on, E. He just said he doesn't judge right there. Right, see that verse? He says, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. Okay, that's interesting. We'll look at... Uh, if you have, turn an address to um, chapter 9, in verse 39, he says, Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world. What's going on there? Right? So he says he's judging. Uh, in chapter 9, verse 39. Um, so what I want to do real quick is I want to, I should have put this up on the, on the, on the screen, fam. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Uh, you guys can turn it real quick. And, I, and I, I'm just going here because I want us to have conviction about judgment. Because we, we have a very warped view um, of judgment in, in, the, in the family of God. And we need to have appropriate view of judgment. Um, a very famous passage when he talks about judging others in Matthew chapter 7. You guys are probably familiar with it. Um, man, do I have time for this? Uh, do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others. This is verse 1. Verse 2, um, it says, in the same way you'll be judged... Uh, he says, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? You guys are going, yeah, I remember that passage, right? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, uh, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? 
You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give the dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, then they may trample them under their feet and then return and tear you to pieces. I mean, sorry, and then turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, let me just give you the brief meaning of this passage. We, we just pass it and get kind of weird. So people say, see, it's real clear. You're not called the judge. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you're supposed to have right judgment. See, he doesn't say take, he says, okay, you guys are judging, but you got this huge log in your eye, and you're telling him about this little thing he needs to be about. And what does he say? He says, take this thing out of your eye. Now, wait a minute. He didn't just stop there. So that you may see accurately how to judge. Do you see that? So he's not saying just take it out your eye. He's saying, I want you to have right judgment. He's saying, understand your own life first. Understand your own issues first. And now with humility and a heart to love Jesus, you can look at someone who does have something in their eye and say, bro, will you take it out because I love you and I want you to love God. You see that? He's not saying not to judge. He's saying have right judgment. You're called to judge. Matthew 16. He gives us the keys to the kingdom. He causes us to, he says, I'm calling you to look at the world and to tell the world the truth in love. You as Christians are the truth tellers to the world. We are the only way the world will understand what truth is. But you've got to believe it. This is, he, Jesus is giving you the authority in Christ, in love, filled by the Holy Spirit to make right judgment. Okay, fam? Now, anyway, I'm not going up here because I want us to get that. So we're not going around having excuses to not speak into people's lives. Because God has called you to do it. When you have right judgment. Now, let me go back to what we're looking at. Let's go back to chapter 8. So what's going on in chapter 8 there, E? So the counsel of Scripture, when you're studying the Scriptures, fam, you... you Okay, you, you, took it, you look at a text and you go, man, that's kind of weird. And so what you've got to do is you've got to do what you call, you call it literary context. So you've got to look at the context of the passage. And then if it's still weird, you want to look at the biblical context. Okay, you've got to say, well, what is the Bible saying about a subject matter such as this? Okay? So we've done a little bit of that just like that, right? We looked at another passage. We've looked at another verse. And we see something being said very different than what we perceive in chapter 8. Now, we don't know why chapter 8 is saying what it says, but now we've got a little more juice to go, okay, so it must be saying something I don't get, because I just read two passages that are very different. Okay? Well, let me tell you what, I'm very convinced of what it's saying. So what he's saying there is he's telling them again. He uses the word, I think this is powerful for family. In verse 15 he says, but I'm going, you judge by human standards. Okay? You, this is how you judge. Semicolon. I pass judgment on no one. Semicolon, I propose to you, he's saying, that's human standards judgment. To pass judgment, right? To not judge accurately. To pass judgment without all the information. So he says, he, so basically he's saying, you, you judge by human standards. I don't judge like that. I propose to you, that's what he's saying. I judge like a father. I propose to you, He's not saying, I don't judge. He's saying, but if I do judge, my decisions are right. That's that God-centered kind of judgment, baby. I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm tripping. So, I'm just tripping. But, um, do, 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 do you follow me? So, so, I, so the text is it's not inconsistent at all. It's extremely consistent. He's extremely consistent in his approach. His approach. He's consistently saying that, yeah, you're called to judge, but to have right judgment. 
that's filled by the Holy Spirit, that's serious about the glory of God, that doesn't have all these, these biases and these hidden agendas of why you say what you say and all this baggage of why you bring in judgment, but that's pure and that's led by God and motivated by love so that people can experience holiness and all they're called to be in Christ. So are you glad, sis? No. On. Yeah. So as far as the log in your own eye, you like if I'm, you know, speaking into a friend's life mm. that I'm struggling with sin, it, is it just being humble about that and you know honest that you don't you don't? It's not like you have to clean up your act. Obviously, it, yeah, you, you can't be perfect, right? So and be completely without sin before you judge. But to be, I mean, what does that look like practically? I guess even in your own struggles. That's the beauty of the gospel. The hardest part of the gospel is that it's all in Christ now. Is that now God is saying, you know what, i give you all that freedom. Um, search your heart. It's just, that's when it doesn't get sexy anymore. It's just hard. Because now you've got to go home and go, so why do I want to say this to her? Why do I want to say this to him? And you've got to ask the Lord. You know, I remember uh, my sweet wife was uh, awesome. She was speaking once and she was like, she came to me and she was like, you know, I just, I'm speaking, and I want to, I want God to be glorified, but you know, I also want to do good, and I, I just want, I just want that gone. And I'm like, well, baby, that's not gonna happen. I mean, you know, I mean, I want God to be honored. I don't want to get up here and flip over to, you know, and trip over something and fall and bust my head in front of y'all, and you know, and say, well, God be glory, and turn the verse. No, I want to, you know what I'm saying? I want to kind of like present myself a little bit, you know. And and so. But the, but, the, but the beauty of God is that we, he wants us to fight and wrestle and say, Lord, would you work in my heart? Would you allow me to be a man of humility? And would you allow me to understand like, how, how to care for people? And so I just want to suggest to you that this is another one of those communicable attributes that God says, I'm going to allow you to judge like me, but not totally like me. Where he says, you know, now, but now you need to deal with that. Now you need to come and be honest about um, your journey and what you're about and, you, and knowing that you got stuff too. And it was, was cool. I think the best kind of judgment is when someone is letting their own stuff out too. You know, it's when, someone, it's when someone's saying, yeah, I got baggage too, so I'm not coming in this way. You know, when, we, when, when people see that we're fully human, that gives us a platform uh, to pursue godliness. So... So, yeah, I just don't have an answer. I think, the, I think the Bible leads us to having to say, okay, Lord, um, I just know you're calling me to this, so I just want to trust that you can work in my heart, and I pray that you, that you, that you do something in my life. And then my friend always told me, discernment is meant for prayer. When you think you're discerning stuff, spend time praying, asking the Lord to purify your heart. Let me continue on for the sake of time. Um, so, so you know, basically, so the judgment piece, so not a question real quick is, why, is, is, is why, why do we judge, right? Why is judgment important? I'm going to say, keep holiness in the camp, okay? And I know this, is, this seems like a sidebar, but I think it's a major theological issue that we need to be clear about since it's being approached in the text. Um, keep holiness in the camp. The Jews, we see this again. I love the history because that's what the Jews did. The whole point of, of the covenant community was you got these people who agree that God is king and that he's their king, and they're going to walk with the Lord, right? And then he says, now, I'm holy. I want you to be holy, okay? And, and then, so then they do something weird, and then, G, and then, they, then they get beat up by some Philistines or something, and then they come running home going, God, why we get beat up? We're supposed to be like God's people. What's up? 
And guys go, well, because somebody freaking, somebody doing something crazy in the camp. I don't know who, who, who is it, you know. Go find out. And so then they go, they go grab their stones. They're like, all right, so one of y'all, who, who stole it, you know. And they walk around and, you know, little Fred, like, I stole it. And they, like, kill him. And I'm just telling you, this is what happened to Bob, but I make it up. They kill Fred, okay, and then God starts blessing the people again. What's the theme there? It's not that you go kill Fred whenever time Fred do something. The theme is that there's supposed to be holiness in the camp. Is that God wants us to be holy. So how do we transfer that to now? Is God is saying that we're supposed to be a covenant community of people who are experiencing God's grace, who walk with the Lord, enjoying Jesus, but that when there is sin, we have church discipline. That we say we want holiness in the camp. We want people to see that we are different than the world. And so we're not scared to go, look, dude, your attitude there just was not godly. I'm just going to go there with you because I love you enough. Church discipline is un, it doesn't even exist basically now in the world. And it's a big trick of the enemy because it was a major motivation for Jesus. Holiness in the camp. So people can see us and go, whoa, I want to, I want to kick it like that. I want to serve their God. Their God could be my God too? Yes. Um, displays an image bearing attribute. This, this reminds God that he's God. Whenever we judge a right judgment, it, it reminds God that, oh, I made you. It reminds him of the image that he's placed in all of us. Accountability. Accountability so that we can have holiness in the camp. Right, Sam? Brings honor and attention to God. Praise the Lord that it brings honor to God that we're not concerned about our reputations. We're not concerned about what you think, but we're concerned about the glory of God and for you to be the man and woman you're called to be. No, I will not let you sleep with your girlfriend. I'm going to say something. You can, oh, you can disobey the Lord, but on my watch, I'm going to tell you that's wrong. So every time you do it, you know, man, that dude said that. Holiness in the camp, family. I pray that this body, I don't know about everybody else. I know that we don't have all together, but we want to be a real church. And I'm praying that we desire to keep holiness in the camp. That's not perfection. That's not elitism. We're not trying to act like we're better than anybody. We're talking about humble, broken people who sin all the time, but who want to passionately pursue Jesus. And who says, when Jesus shows me something, I respond to that revelation. That's not perfection. That's not holier than thou. That's Christianity. Can we continue on, please? Um, we're in verse eight, uh, 19 and 20. Um, I can grab it real quick because of the time. I'm sorry. You're doing great, brother. You can read the, the last few passages because it's pretty long. Verse 19, uh, then they asked him, where is your father? Uh, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Uh, yet we don't have time, but you always remember when you see locations, they usually mean something. Not much here, but usually they mean something when you see locations. I'm just for a Bible study uh, method deal. Yet no one sees him because his time had not yet come. Just want to throw that out. Always, when you see that, you circle that. I don't know, what, what's a good sovereignty sign? What do you think? Like a big old muscle or something? I don't know. But wouldn't it be cool to put something, whenever you see the sovereignty of God just being smack in your face. You know what I'm saying? It says, you know what I'm saying? They, 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 they wanted to seize him, but it's time he hadn't yet come. You know? They wanted to get him. I love those kind of passages. Um, 
dominant thought of, of, of the testimony in this passage, guys, and don't miss this. This is probably one of the dominant thoughts. Well, this is probably one of the most dominant thoughts in, in John. Don't miss this. Dominant thought is this. That Jesus is the supreme revelation of the Father. Now, I know we're going, well, yeah, that's cool. But I don't know if we get that. Jesus is the supreme revelation of the Father. Because when we go and do outreach and we're hanging out in communities and we talk with people and we talk with people even in here, and it's amazing how the discussion gets into my church and my pastor and, and all this stuff where the, the Lord, what he's doing in John, he wants our vernacular to change and to wrestle with, are you discussing Jesus? Are you enamored with the person of Christ? Are you understanding what Jesus did for you? What Jesus is doing for you, that Jesus delivers you from sin, that Jesus allows you to have holiness. He wants us to have our total focus and confidence and admiration in the person of Christ. I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to go back to there in a moment. Remember that Jesus is the supreme revelation of the Father. We're going to get back to that at the end because that's the, that's the apex of all this, all this stuff we're doing. And we say, what? Man, you said that last week. You know, like, why every week is the same? So that's what John's, don't you, don't you get it? See, see, when he says it over and over again, it's not so you get tired of it, it's so you realize how important it is. The reason why he keeps telling you to have faith is because that's important, family. He's telling you, Jesus is the, he's the Lord. He's everything. You don't go, man, you said that last chapter. No, you should say, oh my goodness, am I living my life like that? Am I, am I, am I diving into that reality? Is my relationship in him? Is, it should, it should lead you to your knees to go. If it's that important to God to put it over and over again in Scripture, how important it should be for us to be meditating over and over again. Now, I get excited. I don't mean to be yelling. I'm really happy. But I'm just, I really am. I don't know how to do the mouth smile thing. Um, so, so, so he says that now. Let me continue on real quick. I don't see the, see the time. Oh, man. Okay. Um, so, so that's his point. When he does this whole, you don't know me, you don't know the Father, his whole point is that, you know what, I, like, I'm all you're going to get. This is as much God as you're going to get. God. Right? That's his point there. And then they say, um, and then Jesus, I'm going to go down to uh, verse 21. He has this concept. He tells them real clearly, I'm going away, and you look for me, um, verse 21, family, and you will die in your sin. So they're having this discussion, right? And you will die in your sin. Uh, where I go, uh, you cannot come. Jump down to verse 24. They're having that discussion. Where are you going? He says, told you, um, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am uh, the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. And you know what? At first, I, mean, I was going to talk about, I mean, I can do this down the road, talk about the theology of sin and the, and the reality of, of hell and all this. But you know what's deep to me? Is that he doesn't go there. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you know what the horror is? It's not the burning and the excruciating pain and the suffering. The horror is that you die in your sin. That's the horror. It's like God doesn't even go there. The horror in God's mind is that you have to have a life of forever in sin. That seems to be the horror in Scripture. We paint the pictures and talk about the dude with the pitchfork and all this stuff. But it seems like the Father is saying, do you get it? You're never free from your sin, and that breaks my heart. You will die in your sin. It seems like that is kind of, yeah. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. About 
Um, I'm going to continue to go on for, for the sake of time. He gives uh, in verse 28. So Jesus said, I'm going to jump down a little bit. Um, he says, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, uh, and I, I jumped there because, remember, in John 3, uh, he talks about uh, the Son of Man being lifted up. Uh, so I would love for you to go back to that, uh, to understand the beauty of the, of the, cru- the crucifixion uh, and resurrection and how we're to look to Jesus. Um, I'm going to talk about the sin piece in a moment. That's why I'm, that's why I'm jumping down. I'm going to go, go ahead and continue to read. Uh, so Jesus said, verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Interesting. So many spoke, many put their faith in him, right? Look at the next verses. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you would know that the truth, then you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 33. They answered him. Okay, if we're dealing with per, uh, relative pronouns, they answered him. Then uh, says, uh, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So these, so he said they believe in him, and it almost looks like he's talking, he's like the Pharisees arguing with him there. Did you notice that? That isn't, that isn't a new group of people. Those are the people that Jesus said believed in him. So what's going on there? I propose to you that they kind of believed in him. I propose that he's, again, I, uh, what he does is, he's, is that he, 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 he breaks that chasm and says, oh, you know, this isn't about casual believers. You know, this isn't about people who just say, you know, I'll kind of hang out, right? He's saying, oh, no, 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 see, and I love he used the term, you see that? If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Do you see that? I, I will be, I'm very confident he says you are really my disciples because they probably thought, I'm your disciple. He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, man. well, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Implication is that you might not be really my disciples. <laughs> right? Because, and so, and so he's like, just do a litmus test. So I thought it was really deep to me as I was reading. I'm like, oh, he's talking to the same people that he said believed. Um, and he continues on. Look what he says there. He says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, one who sins, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Great passage here. Um, Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if a son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. And you do what you have heard from your father. I mean, unbelievable, this discussion he's having with these people. Okay? Now, he, he, he talks about this, this issue of slaves to sin. Um, so he, he, he's going to continue on. We won't have time to go there. He, he gives a scenario about uh, parenthood. Okay? We, we'll pop it up in a moment. Um, oh, thank you for doing that. Uh, I'll just, let me just hit this real quick. Um, in this passage here, we see Jesus is truth. Uh, to recognize, to not recognize it, to be a slave. Slavery is interesting to me um, because, a per- like when I think of uh, even even the plight of African Americans, um, you think of slavery, and, and you think of I can't think of all history, but I think of different different people in history, different people groups. 
is that in slavery, what we try to do, um, especially in this community too, is we want to break free ourselves. But it seems that in every um, aspect of history, we you even think of slavery for African Americans, the reason why, or I would propose to you, the reason how we got freed was when actually some people in power spoke up and began to advocate and actually, in essence, set us free. So, and it, like when the, church, when the Quakers, the Quakers were a major party in that, a bunch of white folks, I don't even know where they are now, but they spoke up, there was only basic Christians, because all the, the reformers, all your reformers didn't say nothing, and these Quakers was like, you know, this isn't right, okay? And, and so I would propose to you is that if, the white, if, if these white people hadn't spoken up, um, I don't know where we would be, but, I guess, but it seems to me when you look at different pericopes of history, different aspects of history, um, you, see, you see that it, took, it takes the powers to, to actually do something to the slave. The slave can't break out themselves. My point is, when I think of this, when I think of being enslaved to sin, a lot of times when we talk to people, basically, I think that the, the audacity of human pride is that, is that you're in sin, whether you know it or not, and you think you're free, or you think, you know, you can break yourself out of it. But, but, the, but what the Bible is teaching is that you can't, you have no power over sin. That's why you call it a slave. Because it has you, and it does what it wants with you. What do you do with a slave? You can, you can send a slave across the country if you want. You can say, you're in the house today, and you're my big boy, and then next week, you're out in the field. You have, you have, you have absolutely no residence. You have no ownership. You follow me? That's kind of crazy, but I'm just keeping it real. And that's the same way sin treats us. First, the unbeliever. He just, it tempts you and slaps you around. And you think you're in control and you're not. It has you. Your lust has you. Your desire for material possession has you. And it just, it just slaps you around and does whatever it wants. And the only way you can be free, the only way is by Jesus to come in, the one with power, and to set you free. That's the only way. Now, what about, what about Christians, though? So what happens to Christians? Like, so what happens to us? Well, the Bible says that you become a new creation. You know, I guess the question you can ask yourself is why do we not sin? Why, why do we teach don't sin? Why shouldn't you not sin? It's good for young brothers like Jeremiah to hear. Why, why should we not sin? Glorify God. And why does it glorify God? I say this, and I'm going to keep going because of time. See, we don't sin. It comes off, I think, the way we do life sometimes. We become a Christian and we think, I'm a Christian, so Christians don't sin. Right? And so we, we got this stuff, so now we don't need to do these things no more. And so it's another rule kind of deal. But the Bible is teaching that, no, it's not that you're not supposed to sin. You're a different person. The Bible says that this is who you are. You had a sinful nature. You, you can't help but to sin. This is who you are. It's your definition. You're marred, right, when you, during the fall. This is who you are. And then the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, that you become a new creation and that the old has passed away and the new has come. That you now are filled with the Holy Spirit, that you are now God's child. You are no longer Satan's child because before Jesus you were Satan's child. It's because you're not Satan's child, because you have a new residence, because you have been recreated ontologically. The inside, the essence of you is different. He's saying you're not supposed to sin because that's not who you are. Very different. Very different. Then it's not what you're supposed to do. 
is now who you are. The very essence of you has changed if you are in Christ. So, I don't know where I'm at now. Okay. So when you look at this, let me just go back here real quick. So, so when, you, when you think of slavery, I just want to forget, range is one step with the enemies of the Lord. And it, what saddens me is there's powerful forces holding back the unbeliever. Right? That, I mean, when you think of the issue of slavery, that's, that's, the, whole, that's the whole meaning or the sense. And, I'm just, and I want to talk to the Christian for a minute, though. So what's holding us back? What's, what, what, what keeps us in grapple? Like, what, what keeps us, like, continually thinking, okay, this is just almost a lie. This is who I am. I'm just, I'm just a sinner. And this is what I do. And I, and I want to suggest that there's, that there's a, an issue of perspective. And, 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 and now hear me here, and this, and this is an analogy, so I might have to break down. But I see it as, so you're, we're, we're in sin, and when you can't help but to sin, that's just what you do. Um, and then there's two things that happen when we become a Christian. A lot of times we can live, we can live like this. We can become a Christian, God does something in us, and then what we do is we now say, now I'm not supposed to do this. And so we, we, we start trying to live a Christian life, and we start trying to stop doing stuff. And we try and make ourselves what God wants us to be. Okay? And I suggest to you that that's a totally wrong way of looking at uh, what sanctification is and what life in Christ is. It seems that what the Bible is saying, even through the theme of John, is there's this continual like, like definition of the gaze of Christ. That when you become a Christian, you, God changes you, you become a new creation, and now what God wants you to do is not say, thanks Jesus for giving me the power, this is what we do, or I admit I do, thanks Jesus for giving me the power, now let me go live this life. But it seems that God is saying, no, see, the way I've wired things is my power is connected to me. So what I want you to do is I want you to gaze at me. As you, as you are a new person, I want you to keep your focus not on what you shouldn't be doing, but on who I am. I want you to keep your focus on me. I want you to spend time with me in prayer. I want you to walk with me as you spend time in the scriptures. I want you to meditate on my goodness. Think about who I am. Keep your focus on me. And it seems that God is saying when our focus and our gaze is on Christ, and not on what we're not supposed to be doing, that actually that's when holiness occurs. Because it's about you keeping your focus on the person. See that theme again? The person of Jesus. The person of Christ. Trusting in him. And not in the stuff he gives you to do Christian stuff. You hear me, family? We can't, we can't go there. We've got to keep the focus on Jesus. So I'm convinced that what we do, the enemy tricks us because he makes us say, yeah, God has now given you some stuff. So he almost gives you a utility belt and you can go out and fight this thing. But that's not what God is doing, man. He's not into that. He's saying, no, I've saved you and what I want you to do is continue to hold on to me. And that's what the Christian life is all about. And so we have to always ask ourselves, are we holding on to Christ? I'm going to continue on for the sake of time. Um, so, so, so. So that's the whole sense of, so we understand, unbeliever, if you're here today, if you're playing church and you know you are and the Spirit's convicting you, like, I'm telling you, you're a slave. And I'm, I'm begging you to, to be free. Let Jesus free you. And believer, understand you are a new creation. You are a new creation in Christ. Keep your gaze on Jesus. If you stand a hundred times with the same thing, you continue to trust the Lord. And that's another trick he does, is that you, you'll fall in the same sin. You think this is never going to change. He got you. Don't believe that. You keep fighting. You keep your gaze on Christ. I guarantee you, one day, God is going to free you from that stuff. You continue to focus. Okay, how much time, how much time it takes? 
how many years it takes, you continue to keep your focus on Jesus. The biggest battle is when we take our focus off Christ and we focus on our situation and, and the circumstances. Huge lie. Don't do it. Understand them. Keep your focus on Jesus, family. Okay? Finally, he continues on with this argument. So he says, um, can you continue on, please? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow through this so that now we got who's your daddy, right? So, so we go. Man. Um, slow down there. I'm going to hit a couple quick things real quick. Um, so they say, you know, they have this big argument. Who's your daddy? Jesus calls them out. Your daddy the devil, you know. And they play Jesus. They're like, well, you, you a bastard. You ain't, you got, you ain't even got no daddy. I mean, you know, no mama. You know, like, what's your deal? It seems like they, they have this big thing, right? Like, where you ain't got both parents. And so they must have known something was kind of freaky with the birth. I don't think they knew it was a virgin. Obviously, they'd be, like, kneeling and worshiping. But there was something because they was like, well, we got our parents, you know. And Jesus was like, oh, man, you went there. Well, your daddy the devil. So, so um. <laughs> Can you imagine being God, being able to say that? Somebody trying to dog you, and you're like, oh, you want to dog God? No. So, but, um, so, um, so they continue on with this, with this, um, this big old fight, and then he continues to give them claims as you continue on. What I wanted to focus on is toward the end, okay? Um, uh, verse 60, verse 58, family. That theme again. So then he says, so, so he says, you know what, Abraham, y'all talking about y'all Abraham's boy, you know, like he's your daddy. Well, Abraham loves me, basically, and he was so excited about this day. And if you were really Abraham's people, you would be excited as well. They say, man, you're not even 50 years old. How are you acting like you know Abraham? And then he says this, verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And then they said, oh, you always on now, and then you're about to kill him. And he runs away. Um... But I wanted to focus on something there. The I am peace. Do you see that theme again? Look at the theme, family. The theme is he continues to put the focus on the person of Jesus. And, I, and as it seems like the Holy Spirit just, just wants us to get that. He wants me to get that in my life. That the gaze has to change for all of us. The focus has to be Jesus Christ. And, and you know what, you know what, you know something that really convicted me? I was um, talking with uh, the team. Something that really convicted me. I, I feel like what we do is, and as we were talking about earlier, is we get in love with Christianity and not Jesus. You hear me, family? We get in love with the information, and we get in love with the mission, and we, and we, and we get in love with the change that God does this stuff in our life. And he can and he can work in our life, and he can change our marriages, and we get we get in love with the with the organ with the organism with the covenant community and all the stuff that, that that the Lord provides for us, and we even come here for that, and we're missing it because that's not the focus of your life. The focus of your life is the person of Jesus Christ. And the question you got to ask yourself, we need to be asking ourselves, is are you totally a like, do you totally admire him? Are you adored by the person of Christ? Are you finding yourself not just doing the Christian stuff? And I'm not just talking about works either. I'm talking about living a God-centered life. Being in love with Christianity, the plight of Christianity, versus saying, I am deeply in love with the person of Jesus. Because now, they're not mutually exclusive, okay? They're not even enemies. We're called to be good Christians. You hear me, family? But the focus of Christianity is not the focus. <laughs> the focus is Jesus. And he'll do his stuff in our lives. But man, our, 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 our adoration, our admiration should be in the person 
of Jesus. And that's the whole thing. That's why I am statement. You go to um, um, Exodus um, and, and, and you hear this whole piece uh, when, during the burning bush. And he talks about, you know what, tell, just tell him I am sent you. Um, in Hebrew, that's basically the verb to be. I love it. It's powerful because it's like, it's just like, you know, I am. Like, boom. <laughs> what else I'm going to tell you? Like, this, I'm just, I am. I'm just in ex- I'm existence. You know, that's who I am. And, and they, he says that and they want to kill him because he's saying, I am the perfect revelation of the Father. Okay? So, so I guess I think, I think a good uh, application to ask ourselves is where's our affection? Is, is how, do we, how do we have that affection? How do we say, Lord, I want my gaze to be clearly on you, the person of Jesus, not the tenets of Christianity, not the stuff that we do. Ask yourself, what is one or two ways that you and I, it seems to me one of the major ways are to experience the disciplines apart from people's applause. I think for us to learn how to get away and not let people know what we're doing, know what we're reading, but just resting in the truth of God, spending time in prayer, talking with the Lord, cultivating that relationship, doing these things and saying, Lord, teach me how to adore you. That's, that's, that's what I ask of us this week. That you will go and you'll say, Lord, would you teach me how to adore you? Um, any, any questions? That he would be your treasure. Uh, we're going to take communion right now, family. The Lord be our treasure. That the Lord is your treasure. The Lord is your treasure. It just changes everything. Here, let me tell you how communion works, family. Um, we're going to have the band come up, do one song, um, and, you've had, and then and then what we're going to do is um, if you're if you're new here, we ask you to.